I'm from Hertfordshire, so I'm, I'm southern. And I, I, I do. Is anybody here from the south? Thank you so much for your support. Um, I, I want just to say a little bit about the work I do to give you a flavour before I start speaking about this issue of speaking in tongues, which, as you know, is, is controversial. But what I do, and I've worked with Gareth, is, is really to reach people in unusual places. My friend Mark, I, I do have some friends. Uh, if you doubt me, I, I can give you some evidence if you think that doesn't really ring true. But I go with my friend Mark on the streets, and we go and serve hot chocolate and tea and coffee by a pub in Leeds. And we have these, I hope you don't mind me saying this, slightly drunken students who are sometimes wearing Roman outfits, who are wearing togas, who come out of the pub and we serve them hot chocolate and we talk to them and we have these incredible conversations. I want to give you an example of one of these conversations I had with a student. She came out, I think she'd probably had a few too many tizers. And she said to me, why are you doing this? And I said, I want to be a good citizen. Hot chocolate? I need that. Give me the hot chocolate now. I gave her the hot chocolate, and as we were talking, she said, my brother died in the tsunami of 2004. And we began to speak about this. And I told her a few stories which helped her to make sense of suffering. And then she said to me, I'm sorry, Mark. I've got to go with my friends to the next pub. She went off, and I thought, well, what was that all about? Two minutes later, she came back to me, and she said, Mark, I've got to finish the conversation with you about suffering and evil and the cross. Can we just talk a bit more? And then I talked to her for about five minutes, and then I prayed for her. And she said to me, thank you so much. You see, stories can unlock faith. And stories can also build bridges into people's lives. I was speaking to an atheist at a party the other day, and I was speaking to an atheist, and I told him about cyborgs. Hands up if you've ever seen a film with a cyborg in it. I'm sure you know about the Terminator. I went from cyborgs, I talked about the Terminators, and I ended up talking about the resurrection body. And my friend was fascinated, and we had a great conversation. You see, stories give us a way of talking about the faith that is not embarrassing and cheesy and odd. The right story can build an incredible bridge into the lives of people who don't ever talk about faith. And we have to have stories because Jesus had parables, and we need stories. We need parables by which to build bridges into people's lives. I've also worked with Gareth. I, I call him Taffy. I do forgive me for that. Well, we had a time working on the streets with, with homeless men, and me and Taffy told them stories, and they came up to us and they said, these stories are so fascinating. They are so intriguing. Can you tell us a few more? 
Stories are a powerful way of talking about Jesus. Let's read from scripture now. I want to read from Acts chapter 2. Um, beginning at the chapter, uh, chapter 2, it's the, the, the time of the Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Flamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much vino. Now, what I want to do is just briefly talk a little bit about the Old Testament to give you a bit of background about the speaking in tongues. I want to go back just for a minute to the book of Genesis and paint a picture for you. In the book of Genesis, there is a command from God to spread out and to bring God's kingdom to the whole world. And this would include creating villages and towns full of rejoicing and delighting in God. And humans would use language to praise God. But also, notice this, to communicate to each other. What a gift. Notice that we need to speak English, French, Latin, are you a fluent Latin speaker? In order to administer and care for this world that God loves. So language is a good gift from God. And it's part of what it means to image God. But as you know, it goes horribly wrong. Instead of cities of delight and rejoicing, we get the Tower of Babel. In chapter 11. Now this story. Which I'm not going to tell you. Go and read it yourselves. Is about pride. It's about what people call hubris. It's about sinful men and women. Saying we refuse. To spread out. And to create cities and villages and towns of delight. We will build this tower. It's like a fist in the air. To God saying, no, we will not do as you call us to do. 
And then God intervenes to stop this arrogant and self-serving project by confusing all of the proud builders. You see, they start talking to each other, but they do not understand each other. You see, they need, they need translators, as my wife does in her work. They need translators because people are babbling in languages and people say, what's he saying? They need interpreters because this is a day of confusion. Now we see after Babel, Genesis chapter 11, we see tribalism destroying cultures. My tribe is better than your tribe. My tribe is going to eat your tribe. My tribe is better and more attractive and good-looking than your tribe. Our tribe speaks better Latin than your tribe. You see, tribalism infuses the good creation. I have a problem with football. I love football, and I like to listen to a thing called talk sport. And we have our own tribalism in the West. I turned on the radio as Adrian Durham speaking about football. On came a fan who said, I hate all Manchester United fans. He had this passionate hatred of every single person who worships Manchester United. Would anybody here admit to worshipping Manchester United? I call this secular tribalism. Now, in Genesis 12, we see the beginning of the story of Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham, which I'm going to read to you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Notice this, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the story of redemption, of God restoring and rescuing not only humans, but his world from the spirit of Babel. You see, it's a glimpse of Eden restored or paradise regained. It's a glimpse of how God wanted the world to be. And this theme of Eden restored, and and bear with me, I will connect this in a few moments to speaking in tongues. This theme comes through very strongly in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in chapter 8, he's literally tearing his hair out because of the injustice and the poverty and the exploitation among the exiles. He's angry because women are being sold into slavery and people have lost their land. And tragically, people are charging very high rates of interest. And this really deeply angers Nehemiah. And he says to the people, cancel those debts. Give land back to the poor. Don't enslave your daughters. And wonderfully and amazingly, 
the people hear God's word through Nehemiah and they begin to do this. See, this is the spirit of what we call the year of the Jubilee, where every family goes back to its house, its land, so that they can be truly servants of God and no longer slaves. One way of summarizing the Torah is, remember you were slaves in Egypt, so please don't enslave your neighbor. And we need to understand this Old Testament background if we are to understand the speaking in tongues. There's a wonderful move of God, and there is tremendous worship in Jerusalem. And it says in Nehemiah chapter 12, the choirs sang under the direction of Jezreel, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And I love this bit here, Nehemiah chapter 12, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Because the people of God had heard the word of God through Nehemiah, given land back, cancelled debts, stopped lending money at high rates of interest, stopping enslaving girls, there was rejoicing in Jerusalem. Again, it's a picture of Eden restored, paradise regained. Let's go back now to the day of Pentecost. It was a time of festival, and there were many God-fearers in Jerusalem. Now, these were men and women who had been pagans, but who, who wanted to know the God of Israel. And they, would, they were doing this because they knew serving Zeus was sordid and unpleasant and vile. The way they served Jupiter in the Roman Empire, they would have endless ceremonies and services. And if you made one tiny error in pronouncing a word, they would have to repeat the whole ceremony again and again and again. If a dog ran into where you were holding the ceremony for Jupiter, they would have to repeat the ceremony again and again and again. And these were men and women who knew that this pagan story was bankrupt. It was sterile and it was ultimately sordid. And they wanted to live in a better story. And that's why they were there. And then the Holy Spirit falls on the 12 disciples and it spreads out into Jerusalem. Picture it, picture it, imagine it with me. Suddenly a God-fearer from Crete, a friend of mine just went there recently, suddenly starts speaking in perfect Latin. A merchant from Libya suddenly starts speaking in perfect Hebrew. And a soldier from Rome starts speaking in, in an Arabic dialect from Libya. Incredible, because they are praising God and Jesus in their own languages. You see, this is Babel in reverse. It's there's no need for interpreters. You don't need to pay a translator because people are hearing God and Jesus being praised in different languages. Now, there are people who study this speaking in tongues. It's called to scholars glossolalia. 
And there are people who study this, and I'd like to give you some findings of their studies. In a revival in Portland in 1909, a little girl of 10 years of age had just got baptized. And she stood up. Normally, she only spoke in, in English. She suddenly started speaking in fluent Italian and Latin. And there was at the back of the audience a man who was a lapsed Catholic from Italy who suddenly heard in Italian and Latin languages he could speak perfectly now believe in the gospel now. And this Italian man fell on his knees and began to worship Jesus. Because there is a rational dimension to the public speaking of tongues. There's a story of a Chinese woman on a plane who could speak only Mandarin. And suddenly she began speaking in the most perfect, beautiful, fluent English with a very southern accent. She was suddenly praising God in the most eloquent and wonderful and loquacious English. I went to public school. I should know about this. And people were amazed because they knew this woman could only speak Mandarin. Consider a story, again, this has been studied, of a woman who was preaching in Idaho. And she suddenly started speaking in fluent German. Ja, ich kann auch ein bisschen Deutsch sprechen. Ja, wir wollen unseres Gott. No, she went like this. Do you know, there was a woman there who could speak perfect German, but couldn't speak a word of English. And she suddenly cried out, Some, somebody is speaking my language. And they are speaking about Jesus. And this woman immediately got on her knees and prayed and asked God to come into her life. I want to make myself vulnerable here. I hope I'm not going to offend you by saying that I speak fluent French. I hope you're not going to be offended by me saying that. I love French. I lived in a place called Sancerre when I was 19. It's very bien connu pour le vin très sec. It's very well known for particular white wine, very dry white wine. It's an expensive bottle of vino. But I lived there for six months, so I know something about French. I was once in a meeting where a man had recently been baptized and had a very powerful experience of God, and he suddenly started speaking in old French. He was right beside me, and I, he couldn't understand a word of what he was saying. But I, because of my scholarship, my erudition, and my dedication to learning French, I could actually understand what he was saying. And it was a, from a psalm. It was amazingly moving. You see, this kind of speaking in tongues is for the unbeliever. It is for those who do not know the true God, who suddenly have a revelation about who Jesus is through a tongue. Think about a gift from God. All of us have gifts. All of these gifts are good, but they can be twisted. You've all heard of Cristiano Ronaldo, isn't he? He's quite a well-known football player. Makes a few bob. He has a gift, but this gift can be twisted. This good gift 
can be spoiled. And that is also true of the gift of speaking in tongues. I haven't got time to explain to you what the church in Corinth was doing. But it was doing things that twisted and spoiled a good gift. And that's why Paul became very upset with them. But you see, speaking in tongues is not only for the unbeliever. It's also very powerful in our own times of prayer. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. In the same way, it's chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, I've had this experience, and you might have had this, where I wake up at night sometimes, and I feel the call to kneel by my bed. And I have a sense of I need to pray for people who are in trouble. And sometimes I feel confused. I don't know what to pray. It's then that I will sometimes speak in tongues. And as I'm speaking in tongues, I see names. And I start to pray for people. And I don't know what I'm saying. But I'm groaning. I'm interceding for these people. I remember a few nights ago I was praying for someone who was in prison. A man I love who's in prison. I think he's innocent. I was just crying out, interceding for his life, praying that God would touch him. And I felt a sense of God with me in that. You see, all of us have those moments of feeling vulnerable, of feeling confused, of feeling, I I don't know what to pray for. And then... The gift of tongues can help us. I want to tell you a story, which I think is quite entertaining and funny, about how speaking in tongues can help us in doing mission. But I want to tell you a story before I tell you the incident. In India, there are people who worship snakes. Some of you might know about this. And there are some tremendous stories of how they can become Christians. This young woman, her name was Nagama, and she was a snake worshipper. Are you with me, snakes, cobras, adders, pythons, anacondas? Are you with me? There are parts of the world where people worship snakes. In ancient Egypt, they worshipped frogs. Study Exodus. And this woman was told by her dad, you are the snake goddess, and God is going to bless you. And she made a lot of money out of being a snake goddess. One day, an evangelist came to town and said, don't, don't worship snakes. You should worship Jesus. He is Lord. And the father of this woman became extremely irate and said, how dare you speak to my daughter like that? She is the one you should follow. She is the goddess of the snakes. Worship her. Don't worship Jesus. This woman was doing some black magic one day in a house, as you do was paid to do a magical ritual for her family, getting serious coin. She suddenly heard a voice that said, you must sacrifice a child. And she recoiled and said, that's wrong. I can't do that. She rushed home and she was deeply confused. (laughs) 
Why am I being told to sacrifice a child? She went to bed, very, very disturbed and confused. And in the night, she had a dream where Jesus appeared to her and said, I am the gate. You can enter to God through me. I love you. You are my daughter, but I do not want you to worship snakes. She woke up. She realized the man that was speaking to her was Jesus, and she became a Christian. And she now gives a testimony about how she stopped being a snake goddess, a snake worshiper, and now follows Jesus, who made snakes in the very beginning. Well, I was on a bus one day. I like going on buses. It was the number 33A. I want you to know the bus I was on in Leeds. And I was praying for divine appointments. I wanted to meet people I could speak to about Jesus. And I was interceding in tongues on the bus very quietly. No one was annoyed with me. I wasn't being loud and obnoxious and annoying. And I went to the bank. Hands up if you go to the bank sometimes. I had an important check to deposit in my account. I went into the bank with my wallet and this lovely check. It's lovely, isn't it, when you present a check to the teller. And as I presented the check to the teller, a young woman, she said to me, do you know, I had a dream last night. (laughs) I dreamt I was outside wearing a kind of clown's costume. And I said to her, can I tell you a dream? (laughs) Yes, please, she said. I love hearing about dreams. And I told her that story very quickly about the woman who was a snake worshipper who became a Christian. And I just said to her, as she punched in the numbers, I said, and my advice to you is, don't worship snakes, worship Jesus Christ. And she looked up and said, oh, that's wonderful, thank you. (laughs) You know, when I left the bank, I was praising God. Because I'd witnessed to her in a way that didn't annoy her, didn't irritate her. She was just fascinated by this intriguing story. You see, this is the heart of what... I have been doing over the last 10, 15 years to tell stories that engage people about Jesus. To tell stories that people find interesting and intriguing and they want to talk more about faith. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that we should follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I believe that young Gareth here, the whippersnapper, talked to you about the gift of the word of knowledge. Is that correct, Gareth? I think that's a good gift. I haven't got time to talk about that gift. But I do believe that we are called to desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that is something that we are called to do. We have to ask God sometimes for gifts. And I believe that the gift of tongues is a gift that can be given. Now, I don't believe everybody has the gift of tongues. And I certainly do not believe, like some people, that having the gift of tongues makes you a superior kind of Christian. I think that's a wrong and unhelpful framework. I have heard people say this, and it's not helpful. I don't think Paul ever says this. It's a gift. Not everyone has this gift. But it's a gift that can help you in your work serving God. I want to give you another incident where the gift of speaking in tongues really helped me in a tough situation. You see, 
I want to encourage you to seek this gift. Don't despise it. Don't despise the gift of prophecy. Do not despise the gift of the word of knowledge. Do not despise the gift of speaking in tongues. Because through it, God's kingdom can advance. Yes, those gifts can be abused. Yes, those gifts can sometimes be done in a way that is immature and frankly babyish. But do not look at the abuse and reject the gift, but rather seek the gift. Two years ago, I went to a school in Doncaster to do a conference. And I want to just tell you a bit about this. I wanted to prepare for this conference in a deeply spiritual way. i tell you why. Because sometimes you go into schools and you get battered. You try to engage in debate with young people and they smash you. You might have experienced that. Where you try to share your faith and to talk about the world in a Christian way and you get battered and you get bruised and it's really painful. And that day... I had decided to fast. I fasted for three days. And as I was driving down to do my conference, I spoke in tongues. And I really asked God to help me to talk about him in a way that was intriguing and interesting. And the whole day was incredible. I went in, I began speaking to a teacher who said, I wish I could come and hear your talk. And what I did is I talked about the mafia. I hope nobody here is involved in the mafia. Come, I'll pray for you afterwards if you are. I spoke about hitmen, Jimmy the Weasel Fratiano. I spoke about a man called the Beast, who was responsible for the murder of 150 people. He went to prison. He died last year. He said he regretted nothing. He died a few months ago. Another man who was wiretapped by the FBI, who said, I haven't just killed five or six people, more like 30 people, and gave a master class in how to murder. And the FBI caught every word. I used these stories to engage these 100 young people. And I explained to them different views of evil. Now, this is where some Pentecostal people will get cross with me, because I explained to them a Buddhist view of evil, evil, I haven't got time to do that now. I gave them a Hindu view of evil. I explained to them a secular materialist view of evil. And then I explained a pagan view. And then I looked at Old New Testament teaching and talked about C.S. Lewis and his wonderful book, The Screwtape Letters, that some of you might have read. And these young people were absolutely fascinated Even though I quoted to them publicly the verse, resist the devil and ye will flee, I got no complaints. And an Ofsted inspector told me the conference had been outstanding. Even though I had mentioned the Bible, because I had mentioned these other views, I explained to them how Buddhism is different from secularism and how it's different from paganism and how the Christian faith is distinctive. And after the conference, these eight hard-as-nails lads came up to me 
And they wanted to talk about Jesus. The first one said, is Jesus really the son of God? We had a tremendous conversation. Another one said to me, what exactly is the difference between Buddhism and the Christian faith? Had an incredible conversation. There was a young Muslim boy there who was like a cuckoo. When I say this, this is the fruit of fasting and speaking in tongues. He was literally like a cuckoo. He wanted me to feed him. You see, we have to have good things to say, but when we engage in fasting, when we engage in speaking in tongues, there's something that changes in the atmosphere. There is an openness. I thought I've gone in there with some platitudes and cliches about Jesus. They would have laughed and mocked me until they had chased me out of the school. But because my mind is also a gift from God, I use my mind in tandem with fasting and speaking in tongues. And they listened to me and they were so interested and they were so open. And the teacher said, this has been wonderful. You've really taught them something about the world. See, nowadays, if you go into schools, if you haven't thought about what you're going to say, you will not be listened to. But if you have developed an interesting pattern, an interesting spiel, using interesting stories, people will listen. I found this on the streets again and again. To conclude, I was speaking to a young woman a few weeks ago on the streets, and she came up to me, and she was surrounded by these blokes who who really had drunk a few too many Coca-Colas. One of the men said, hello, why are you doing this? We had a conversation, and she said to me, do you know, talking to you has been so interesting. All of the conversations I have with my friends are utterly vacuous and inane. Utterly superficial. That's what she said to me. But with you, I've talked about something really important. And then she said, can I give you a hug? Totally innocent. Can I give you a hug? I've just been witnessing to her. She said, can I give you a hug? So I believe that we should not despise the minds that God has given us. We should not despise the gifts that God has given us. Whether your gift is dancing or football or Underwater basket weaving or listening to Beethoven. Whatever your gift is, honor the gift God has given you. Do not divide it into the sacred and the profane. That's not of God. If you have a gift of great intellect, use your intellect for God. If you have a gift of imagination, use your gift for God. And if you have a gift for speaking in tongues, use that gift to advance God's kingdom. In conclusion, when I returned from that Mafia conference, I was so full of joy. Those eight boys were like cuckoos, listening to every word. I was thinking of Nehemiah. Choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah, and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. See, this is our God who at Pentecost reverses all the confusion, the misery, the injustice, and the tribalism of Babel. You see, this is the God who is turning the world upside down. No, I'll repeat that. Who is turning the world the right way up.
Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much that you love this world so much. Thank you that you've made so many wonderful languages. I wish I could speak them all. We thank you for Urdu. We thank you for Dari, for Farsi. We thank you for the wonderful languages of Europe. We thank you for Latin and Greek. And we even thank you, Lord, for French and for Welsh and for Cornish. We praise you, O God, that you have made so many wonderful languages. And we pray that we would use this gift of languages, this gift of tongues, to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.